encouragement for women of all ages. We are continuing with our series on navigating modern Christianity. Our last episode was on keys to healthy community, and we're going to build upon that in this week's episode and talk about keys to a healthy community part two. We want to look at what is a godly community. And in the last episode, we talked about warning signs of maybe an unhealthy or a counterfeit type of community. And in this week, we're going to take a look at what really makes a healthy, God-centered community. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that it's the last week to register at the early bird discount for our 2024 Set Apart Conference. It's happening June 7th through 9th here in Colorado at our Ellerslie campus, or you can join us anywhere via simulcast. We'd love to have you be a part of this event. I'm so excited about this weekend. It's a time where women of all ages and backgrounds come together with that focus on Jesus Christ, and it's so refreshing. Our theme for this year is, He is Experiencing the Extraordinary Reality of Jesus. So I hope you can join us. Just click the link in this podcast description, or you can go to setapart.org and click on events. Before we dive in today, I wanted to remind you that right now is our 2024 Ellerslie Scholarship Giveaway. This is something that only happens once a year, and it's the chance to win one of 10 full-ride scholarships to Ellerslie in 2024. So if you are able to come to Ellerslie for a season of discipleship, whether it's one of our five-week programs or our week-long program, this is an amazing opportunity because we give away 10 free spots. And if you've been thinking about a season to just come away from daily distractions, and become grounded in truth and just ignite your spiritual fire, I really encourage you to consider a season at Ellerslie this year. We would love to see you in Colorado and invest into your spiritual life. So just click the link in this podcast description for details on the giveaway, or you can go to ellerslie.com for more information. Let's talk about building a Christ-centered community. Now, we talked in the last episode about warning signs of an unhealthy community. And just as a quick review, we talked about a false form of honesty, which is basically the idea that emotional venting equals authenticity and honesty. And that's a false kind of honesty, whereas biblical honesty is mixed with guardedness and discretion. We talked about criticism versus honor. We don't want to be cultivating spiritualized gossip in our Christian communities. And we talked about defeat versus victory. When you are in a community that celebrates human weakness versus focusing on God's triumph, that's an unhealthy pattern. So if you find yourself surrounded by this kind of atmosphere, whether it's in a physical community or in social media, I encourage you to pray about how you can redirect those conversations and those dialogues to be truly biblical and God-honoring. And in some cases, it may be the right thing to do to step back from an unhealthy community and find a group of believers who truly can build your faith and point you closer to Jesus Christ. As I mentioned last week, we are often trained in modern Christianity to believe that if we don't have these raw and real relationships where every struggle is shared, then we're not really healthy individuals. The truth is that we will walk through seasons where we have plenty of relationships around us, in seasons of loneliness where we need to be freshly reminded of how to find our comfort and our fulfillment in Christ alone. God has a purpose in both of those kinds of seasons. We talked in the last episode about the man who was imprisoned for his faith in a foreign country, who was perfectly fulfilled in the presence of Christ when all human companionship was stripped away. If he can be fulfilled in those circumstances, of course God can give us the same grace to be fulfilled, whether we are surrounded by a big group of Christian friends or not. When we're seeking community, let's not approach it with a needy, selfish perspective, but an outward and giving perspective. It's so healthy to ask the question, not what can I get, 
but what can I give when you're approaching community? That mindset alone can be a game changer when it comes to interacting with the body of Christ in a healthy way. I want to build upon our last episode and talk about the qualities of a healthy and Christ-centered community. Now, please keep in mind as we go into this that every group of believers is going to be a work in progress, and none of us are going to be perfect to this side of heaven. So if you are looking for a community that perfectly reflects Christ in every way all the time, you're probably not going to find one. The key, though, is that the community, that the people in the community are aimed in this direction, that everyone there has truly a desire to honor Christ and to esteem and lift high truth and the Word of God in all their gatherings and interactions. Before I go through some of the key qualities of a healthy Christ-centered community, I just want to give you a really quick glimpse into two communities in Christian history that have really blessed and inspired me so that we can realize what's possible when Jesus Christ is given his rightful place among a group of Christians. Darlene Dibler was a missionary that I mentioned in our last episode who was imprisoned for her faith during the Second World War. She was a missionary to New Guinea, and before the Japanese invaded the island and took all the foreigners captive, she was there with several other fellow missionaries, and they had this passion to reach the tribal groups in that country that had never been reached before. And they began to really make some amazing progress and see God do incredible things. And then the war broke out and the country was captured. And she and several other missionaries were forced to live together in really tight quarters, in really abusive situations with very limited food and supplies. And they were constantly being harassed and threatened by their captors. They were told that if they left the property, they would be shot on sight. They weren't given any food. They were left to fend for the themselves and scrounge and find like bird seed to try to make into food. So it was a very stressful situation that would definitely have tested even the closest of relationships because a lot of times when we're under pressure and stress, that's when we be, lash out at those around us. What I find amazing about this story is that even in the midst of those kinds of circumstances, the power of God's love and unity among this group was so clearly seen. Here's how Darlene described it. Take seven very individual and dependent women and one gentleman accustomed to being a leader and put them in close cramped quarters, such as those in which we were now being confined, and what do you have? I think the answer is obvious. We all know what you would normally have. And then she said, put God in the midst, and you have that rare and beautiful thing known as the fellowship of the saints. I love that. She also talks about the end of their time together in a concentration camp where they had all suffered horribly. And this is what she said, in all of our time together where we had shared everything and suffered tremendously together, there had not been so much as one sharp word among us. That's astounding. That's a truly supernatural work that only God can do in building his love into a Christian community. Psalm 13.3 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's really exciting to catch a vision for the relational transformation that happens when God's love and unity and presence is allowed to come into the midst of a community and come shining through our lives as we interact with the body of Christ. But we need to realize that doesn't happen by accident. We have an important role to play in the process. By God's grace, self needs to be silenced and 
and eternity's values have to be kept in view as we interact with our fellow believers. Corey Ten Boom talked about a similar miracle that took place in the concentration camp where she and her sister Betsy had begun leading Bible studies every night. Again, they were in horrific conditions and women were dying left and right. They were suffering. And when they first went into that barracks, there were the sounds of screams and slaps and sobs and brawls everywhere. And when they brought the word of God in and women began giving their lives to Christ, the whole atmosphere changed. Suddenly, all of those screams and slaps and brawls were replaced with pleasant words, consideration for others, and singing hymns, because the presence of Christ and the focus on His truth transformed the environment. And then, as I mentioned in the last episode, Amy Carmichael built a truly amazing community called Donover in India, where hundreds of Indian children who had been rescued from trafficking and women who had been rescued out of abusive situations learned how to live and work together in love and harmony. And for years and years and years, they were known as a community where everyone loved each other. In fact, there's one story of a girl who miraculously found her way to this community, and she felt that God spoke to her heart and said, I will take you to a place where they all love each other. She had never been to a place like that. When she arrived in Donover, she found that that was true. It was the first place she had ever been where there was continual love and trust, even though there were hundreds of people from different backgrounds, from hurtful situations, horrible situations, living together and working together, and yet there was love and trust. And that happened, I believe, because of a very important principle that Amy emphasized in her ministry, and it was death to self. She wrote about a moment early in her ministry where someone spoke rudely to her, and it was a life-changing moment for her because she responded differently than she wanted to. She wanted to respond with an angry, flashing remark. That's how she said it. But then God's voice said within her heart, see in this a chance to die. In other words, that moment was presenting to her a chance to die to herself, to take up her cross and to follow Jesus. And it seemed like a very small, insignificant decision, but she realized it presented an opportunity to walk in God's victorious, outward, selfish, triumphant love. So she asked for His grace to hold back her angry words and respond with gentleness instead. And from that point on, she began to intentionally apply that principle of self-denial in her relationships with others. And then she taught her community how to do the same. I really believe that's probably why she was able to build a powerful Christ-centered family made up of hundreds of rescued women and children, the kind of family that was known all around India as the place where they all love each other. It was that death to self principle. A lot of people in India came to know Jesus Christ because of the supernatural love and the unity that they witnessed in Amy's families made up of orphans and widows. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Walking in that kind of love and unselfishness towards others can seem like a lofty sounding ideal, but in reality, it all boils down to our willingness to embrace self-denial over selfishness. And the victory is usually won in small, seemingly insignificant everyday opportunities to choose that higher road of love by God's grace. Amy Carmichael said it this way, Is it not a strength to remember that when we feel our patience wearing thin, that patience towards others is a gift to be had? We can easily get to the end of our own sweetness of spirit, but not to the end of God's. She said, One of my dearest friends wrote these words, Let nothing in my soul's gesture or behavior obstruct sweet glimpses of thyself today. 
If we pray that prayer, truly, we shall not by little acts of careless rudeness make it harder for others to see the Lord Jesus. And if anyone is inclined to think that rudeness and honesty run together and politeness and insincerity run together, I will tell you what I have found. The strongest, bravest, truest people I ever knew were and are the most gentle-mannered. Good manners are not among the things which do not matter. Can we imagine our Lord Jesus ever being rude? All those little daily decisions of self-denial to choose kindness over rudeness can add up to a lifelong pattern of walking in God's victorious love, and that's what leads to a strong and vibrant community. Now, that doesn't mean we should never confront someone who is being hurtful or insensitive, but when we're walking in self-denial, we're not going to make the mistake of confronting others in a fleshly, angry, prideful, or ungodly way. We're called to speak the truth in love, not speak the truth in rudeness or in irritation. God-enabled self-denial must be a daily process, not just a one-time action. Paul said, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. That's in 1 Corinthians 15.31. So a question that I want to ask is this, is healthy community possible today? I remember before Eric and I were married, I was in a small group community, and that's where Eric and I first got to know each other. And I saw there a glimpse of what truly healthy Christ-centered community can look like. It actually helped prepare Eric and I for leading Ellerslie, which is our discipleship training program based in Colorado, for those of you who don't know. And we wanted to build a place where healthy community was the norm and not the exception, despite the odds, because that's not normal today. And being in that small group community before we were married, where Christ was the center focus, just laid an amazing foundation for what God was going to be calling us into in the future. At Ellers, we have Christians from every background and every denomination come here from all over the country and the world, and yet we don't have constant debates and arguments over doctrinal disagreements because our focus has been very purposely on Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the unity that is created here is around that central focus. So I'd like to share a few key principles for a healthy Christ-centered community so you can know what you're looking for in a community, or if you you're building a community, you can know what you're aiming for. The first principle is a place where edifying words are spoken. Romans 14, 9 says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Now, edify here means to strengthen and build someone up in their faith. This is a great criteria for knowing what kind of conversations should dominate our times together within the body of Christ. I know that for me, whenever I've been at gatherings with Christians that were focused on trivial, worldly, self-indulgent topics of conversation or emotional venting or complaining or spiritualized gossip, I always walk away feeling unsettled and agitated rather than refreshed and renewed. But on the other hand, when I spend time around Christians where the focus is on honoring God and honoring others with actions and conversations, I've been revived and edified and strengthened. The Bible warns against behavior of certain women in the church who wander about from house to house, being gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. That's in 1 Timothy 5.13. 
And that's a sadly accurate picture of so many Christian women's gatherings today, even within the church. Spending time with our Christian friends can be such a refreshing and wonderful experience, but it's critical that we're purposeful about guarding our words and sharing edifying things. There are a couple of ways that I've found that really help steer conversations in an edifying direction. And the first is to share stories or experiences that build faith. It's really easy to speak negative, discouraging things or vent all of our disappointments and our hurts in our conversations with other believers. It's not as easy to focus on edifying and uplifting things, and that requires the enabling grace of God because we live in a, cu- a culture that is pushing us toward negativity all the time. But speaking edifying words is God's solution for building a healthy community and cultivating truth among the body. Paul says that we are to meditate on things that are lovely and right and noble and of good report, etc. And speaking those kinds of things is the best way to edify others. I have found that one of the most uplifting yet often neglected forms among Christian gatherings is encouragement. When we take time to tell our brothers and sisters in Christ about the godly qualities that we see in them, what we appreciate about their lives, is tremendously edifying and can be truly life-changing. Now, a little note to single women, please be guarded in singling out Christian guys and sharing personal encouragement with them because that can definitely be taken the wrong way. I've talked about that in other episodes, but in general, encouragement among the body is such a healthy way to speak edifying words. Quite a number of years ago, when I was struggling with a lot of discouragement, the enemy was constantly whispering to my soul that I was falling short in every area of my life. Right around that time, several Christian women in my life wrote me letters of encouragement, telling me how they had seen reflections of Christ in my life. And I have never forgotten the impact of those words. Their encouragement deeply refreshed me and pushed the enemy's voice far into the background. And so it truly was life-changing. In recent years, I've been blessed with some friends who understand the value of sharing genuine words of encouragement. When one of us is going through a major life change like moving, getting married, bringing, welcoming a child into the family, or special occasions like birthdays, we will often get together or exchange letters simply for the purpose of sharing encouragement with each other. Some share life-giving words, others share significant scriptures, others talk about positive things that they've observed in each other's life. Both the person receiving the encouragement and the one giving the encouragement are always so refreshed and so uplifted. If you feel like you are often at a loss for words, I would encourage you to take some time in advance to prayerfully consider which specific person God may want you to encourage and what you should say. If you don't think you'll remember your thoughts on the spot, then just take some time to write those things down in the form of a letter or jot down a few simple notes that can remind you of what you wanted to share. Even if you feel like you're the one in need of encouragement, just remember that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you simply take the steps forward to encourage your Christian friends instead of waiting for someone to encourage you, you'll be uplifted and blessed in a really life-changing way. Another key to a healthy community is that it needs to be truth-based in every way, not just a little truth-based, but completely truth-based. A few episodes ago, I talked about how subtle lies can often be blended with truth so that we become blind to them. We don't even recognize the error that's creeping into the church or into our own lives. When we're building a healthy Christ-centered community, it's vital that we test everything against the Word of God and that we build everything upon the solid rock of His truth. 
there's a trend today of Christians always wanting everything to be new and fresh and different and exciting. And that's one way that erroneous messages can come in. They take the form of books and videos and blogs, and maybe they're really cool and different and unique, but oftentimes they'll bring in some lies blended with truth. And if we always have to have something new and fresh and different and exciting, we're going to be prone to falling for lies. A Christ-centered community is going to be 100% truth-based. I've been closely involved with the Christian publishing industry over the past 20-plus years, and I've come to realize, as I've shared in other episodes, that a lot of modern books and studies are based in trendy pop culture ideas and human thoughts rather than having their foundation in the unchanging Word of God. If the teaching or conversation in a community is built on anything less than the solid rock of truth, it's going to become at best nothing more than a spiritualized social gathering or at worst, a breeding ground for deception and compromise. If you're leading a small group, be diligently watchful over any outside material that you choose to use. Remember that just because a book or a study is popular in the Christian world does not mean that it's always going to be Christ-centered or truth-based. When you're considering presenting other people's material to the people in your group, learn to weigh those messages against the Word of God. Before you just nod along with other Christians' ideas, stop and ask yourself the question, does this message agree with the truth of Scripture, not just on some points, but in its entirety? Do these thoughts and ideas align with God's nature and His character? If you're not sure, take some time to seek answers in the Word of God before you promote it or share it within your Christian community. Remember, he's promised that those who seek his wisdom diligently will find it. And if you're in doubt, focusing on scripture as well as on classic historical Christian books is usually a safe road to choose. If you're participating in a small group, be sure that you're cultivating a purposeful reverence for and a study of the word of God so that you will be able to quickly discern when something erroneous is being taught or presented. One example I'll share with you, early in my Christian walk, I heard a lot of right-sounding messages on building up my own self-esteem. It sounded really good. And I've shared this in other episodes too, which is such a great example because I was nodding along with this message. Youth leaders and well-meaning Christians told me that if I wanted to be free from insecurity, I needed to focus on my own inner beauty and my own goodness and protect my sense of self and focus on self-esteem. And those ideas really appealed to me and they sounded healthy and wise. I didn't even question them. And then it wasn't until a few years later that I really began digging into the Word of God and immersing myself in the Scriptures that I realized that the popular notion of self-esteem was in conflict to Christ's clear message of self-denial. If we are ignorant of the Word of God, we are going to be a lot more prone to being deceived by the trickery of men, as it says in Ephesians 4.14. But as we've said before, if God's Word is our lamp and our light, we're going to be a lot quicker to recognize and renounce ideas that don't align with His pattern. When I look back at the fellowship group that I was a part of, that Eric and I were part of before we were married, it impacted my life so much all of those years ago. I still remember so much of what I learned in that group. I am struck by the strong emphasis that there was on truth. Everybody there esteemed the Word of God. The leader of the group focused most of the teaching around rich portions of scriptures 
and maybe some excerpts from Christian classics, but it was very scripturally focused. And there was a built-in protection against error creeping in because the Bible was cherished and respected far above cultural trends or human wisdom, and we weren't just looking for something fresh and new and different and exciting. For a Christian community to thrive, we can't treat the Bible as moldable to human opinions and ideas. We need to find out what God says and then build our lives and our gatherings upon that unshakable foundation. Another quality of a healthy, Christ-centered Christian community is that it's centered on prayer. Leonard Ravenhill used to say that he didn't really know a man until he had prayed with him. And there is nothing that will cultivate like-mindedness among a group of Christians than praying together. Prayer accomplishes things that human words never can. Prayer softens heart and prepares souls to receive truth. Prayer replaces misunderstanding and discord with brotherly love and unity. True prayer brings spiritual fire to a group of believers who might otherwise remain passive. So we can't just talk about praying. We really do need to pray together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So whether you're a mom leading a Bible study for teen girls or a leader over a large group of seasoned Christians, be sure you're facilitating prayer into your gatherings together and that that becomes a foundation of your times together. Lay a foundation ahead of time as well by praying diligently as you lead up to those gatherings for every person you're going to be ministering to in that time together. If you're a participant in some kind of a Christian group, then take the time to really pray for your leaders and realize that they're going to be under a lot of attack when they take that step to lead a community and be sure you're wrestling for them in prayer. I believe that one of the key reasons that that past fellowship group was so effective and life-giving is because we spent so much time praying for each other, both corporately and individually. As Corey Ten Boom once said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? The answer to that question can determine the difference between failure and success, both in our personal lives and in our Christian communities. Another key to a truly Christ-centered community is that it needs to be all about Jesus. And when we started Ellerslie, we had something called the Ellerslie Experiment. Basically, the idea was, can people from all different denominational backgrounds who have different opinions on specific areas of how to live out the Christian life, if we focus on Jesus Christ, can we have unity? Can we build a fellowship based on our pursuit of Him? And that is what we have discovered at Ellerslie for the past 14, 15 years, is that it is possible to come together, even from very different backgrounds and very different perspectives when Jesus Christ is the focus and there's unity there. It's really easy to come into a small group meeting or a Bible study asking the question, what am I going to get out of this? Which we talked about in the last episode. We should be asking the question, what is God going to get out of this? Our primary purpose for gathering together with other believers should be to lift high the name of our King. In Christian meetings, we so often believe it's our right to be entertained and catered to and applauded and built up, and pretty soon it becomes all about us rather than all about Jesus. In that group that I mentioned earlier that I attended all those years ago, there was a unified focus on Jesus Christ. He was the reason that we were gathering. He was always given first place. Nobody tried to take center stage or impress others with their cleverness or their spiritual depth or show off for each other. Jesus was the guest of honor, 
And we sought to glorify him with our worship, with our prayer, with our conversation. Even the songs I remember that we chose for our worship times were very purposeful. They weren't the me, me, me kind of lyrics. They were those that kept our thoughts and our gaze on Christ and his worthiness, his holiness, and his goodness. Back then, I think I probably took it for granted that this was the norm for most Christian gatherings. But now I realize what a gift it was to find a group of believers who made Jesus Christ truly their North Star. If you're the leader of a Christian group, ask God to continually purify your motives for leading. Are you doing this for recognition and applause? Do you want to draw attention to your own wit and abilities? Or is your primary aim to point eyes to Jesus Christ and get out of the way so that he can clearly be seen? John the Baptist, as we've said before, has set such a beautiful example in this area. When he spoke about his role in ministry, he said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's in John 3, 29 through 30. So I encourage you to look for ways that you can cultivate a focus on Christ during your gatherings with other believers, Christ-focused worship, Christ-focused conversation, Christ-focused prayer. Keep in mind that there is no such thing as a Christian gathering that is too focused on Jesus Christ. If you're the participant in a Christian community, one of the best things you can do to help keep the focus on Christ is approaching gatherings with an unselfish attitude, as we said before. When you are continually looking for ways to point eyes to Christ and not yourself, you're going to honor Christ and keep him in his rightful position as the guest of honor. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That's in John 12, 32. And both Colossians 1, 18 and Colossians 10, 31 remind us that we need to give him first place in everything. No matter what practical issue your Christian community might be studying together, maybe you're talking about purity or relationships or parenting or money, the ultimate purpose should always be for the glory of Jesus Christ because without him, we can do nothing. Another quality of a truly healthy community is that it is outward focused. I have been in so many Christian gatherings that focus only on our issues, our struggles, and our needs. And while God certainly cares about providing answers to our issues and struggles and needs, he doesn't stop there. And that's not the purpose, the entire purpose of a Christian community. God desires to make us strong in him so that we can give that strength to others. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, now freely give. We need to remember that we're the body of Christ, meaning we're his hands and his feet upon this earth. If we're not doing the work of building his kingdom, selflessly serving and witnessing and building his kingdom and rescuing souls, then who is? One of the things I really appreciated about that former group I mentioned was the outward focus that was cultivated among us. Our leaders organized opportunities for us to serve at homeless shelters and give meals to refugees and visit local prisons and hospitals and go on short-term mission trips and evangelism outreaches. And those were huge in keeping an outward focus. Some of the families in that group even became involved in foster care or adoption, and then others in the group would support that family with prayer and with practical help. Those experiences really helped remind us that the purpose of our gatherings wasn't just to enjoy the good news for ourselves, but to share it with others in need. Even if your Christian community isn't able to go to the mission field or even volunteer at homeless shelters, you can still cultivate an outward-focused attitude 
among those who attend. I've known youth groups who sponsor children together through Compassion International or a group like that, or other groups I've known have chosen a persecuted country to pray for, or maybe adopt an orphanage overseas and send supplies and pray for them. I would encourage you to ask God to show you specific ways in which your community can become his hands and his feet to a lost and dying world. And if you're a small group leader or a Christian group leader of some kind, you can also cultivate an attitude of outward living in the way you communicate in your exhortations and conversations. If you encourage the community members in your group to look for ways that they can serve each other and encourage each other, then it is going to cultivate an outward perspective or encouraging them to share their faith with non-believers, maybe in the community or at their workplace. And then allow those people to share what they're learning about an outward-focused life. It just cultivates an outward perspective. Turning outward is a wonderful way to cultivate unity and purpose among any group of believers. An outward-focused group is typically a happy and thriving group because there is such great joy in knowing that we're functioning as Christ intended his body to function. There is something so powerful about the gathering together of believers when we are gathered together for the glory of God. I often think about Christians overseas who literally have to risk their lives in order to meet together with other believers. That reality should help remind us that it's truly a precious gift to gather together in his name and to exhort one another in our common faith. Let's never take it for granted. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into what it means to live a set-apart life, I encourage you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I 